There's a joke in my family, embarrassing as it is, our youngest daughter, we don't really know what day she was born on. I get confused. I don't know if it's January 30th, 31st. I figured, I said, I think it's 31st because I think sometimes it should be February 1st. And I must get that because it was the 31st. And it was funny because she was in her late teens, or well, he was up in her teens, mid-teens, before we realized we were unsure. But you know, mothers never forget these things. So then we turned to her mom and was like, when's her birthday? She said, I don't even know. I was like, whoa. Tragically, there was probably only one other thing just as, uh, I guess, hilarious but embarrassing is it wasn't until her late teens that I realized that we spelled her name with two L's. I was like, I didn't know. It's Noel. I just thought it was Noel with one L. Sometimes you forget the particulars. What has never been in question is her reality. Her reality as a cherished one in our home. We don't know the exact date of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. God in his providence and in his sovereignty has not preserved for us the exact date and time. But what we do know is that the most cherished of all beings has a significance to those who see him rightly. And there's no singular event that is more significant to the believer at the foundational level than what we call the incarnation. The incarnation is the $5,000 word for God took on humanity without losing Godness so that he would. Some time ago, like in the mid fourth century AD, the bishop in Jerusalem wanted to know what's the exact date. So he wrote to the bishop at Rome at that time. This was when Constantine was solidifying power. If you've ever heard of Constantine, the Roman emperor. And he asked him, what's the exact date? Well, the bishop of Rome responded to the bishop of Jerusalem and said December 25th. It was kind of arbitrary, but it was his way of trying to blunt paganism in his day by providing a Christian alternative. I guess it's somewhat like our hallelujahs, you know, on Halloween, you know, come to the hallelujah party. <clears throat> Again, it's some attempting Christians to take what's already going to be pagan and try to tilt it so that it's Christian. Needless to say, it didn't work. The church eventually adopted December 25th as the date for Jesus Christ's birthday. Uh, but they also mixed and mingled it and always have stumbled with it being both, again, that which is spiritual and that which is very cultural, sometimes even very pagan. Well, we're here to say Christians are always trying to reel people back to the real reason for why the church decided to celebrate the incarnation, God becoming mankind. It's because that event is an event unlike any other event. It was a night in one sense like any other night, but that night happened to be a night unlike any other night. Jesus was born like a baby, like 
any other baby. And yet this baby that was born was unlike any other baby. It was that day that God from heaven entered into history. More precisely, it's actually the day when God, man, who was in the womb, entered into the world. The incarnation. And so today, we're going to talk about the incarnation from the, from the standpoint of what it reveals about God. And I want to just sum it up this way. The Lord of history entered history to alter history. Let this change your story. The Lord of history entered history to alter history. Let this change your story. I'm coming out of Luke chapter two. That's what I was assigned. And Luke starts with letting us know that God is the Lord of history. And what took place when he entered history is actually something that now is permanently lodged within history. The Lord of history at a place and a time in history. The Bible says, Luke chapter 2, verse 1, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all that went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, should do to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to have birth. Now, again, just understand this, this, this scenario that we're introduced to. First of all, he starts off, in those days. These are real days. You know, everybody has sort of like the days, you know, because back in my day, see, in your day, right, we all got days and we know what that means. All you have to do is say back in my day and a whole bunch of stuff comes with that that you assume people know. Because see, back in my days, we had cassette players, you know, because back in my days, you had to walk to the TV and turn the knob and use the pliers if it broke. You had to adjust the, inter you know, and you already know, oh, those days, right? <laughs> back in my days, in those days when my daughter was born back in those days George W. Bush was in office and it was after 9-11 when they took me to the airport you know they had to stop because we, we used to be able to in my day go all the way to the window and the gate and eat and see your like you can just go on and on within those days in other words Luke starts off by saying in those days you know the days that you could go back and historically verify I'm talking about real places. I'm talking about real people. I'm talking about real verifiable leaders. He says in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. You know the days when Caesar, who's known as Caesar Augustus, was on the throne. There were many Caesars, but this is Caesar Augustus, a particular Caesar. You know Quirinius. When Quirinius was running Syria, those days, historically verifiable time periods. It says, and, jo and Joseph, you know Joseph, the real guy named Joseph. Joseph, the one from Bethlehem. You know, the one from Bethlehem, the one who was connected to David, a real king, a historical king named David. He was betrothed with Mary. Yes, he went there because of a census. Check it out. You can check these things out. Now, if you were to study and you were around a bunch of skeptics, there are some people who would say, but history doesn't kind of give us clarity on this event. Now, there's nothing that 
undermines it. There's nothing that says it's lying. (laughs) But there is something that says, again, I'm not sure which event, which census you're talking about. So I'm not here to solve that for you today. I'm just giving it to you just in case you go out in the corner and say, that ain't even in history. No, it's not in history because there is some lack of clarity. But what's not unclear is Augustus did supervise census in his days. Quirinius did supervise census in his days. We just can't line up which census under this time period. But Luke uses it because the person he's writing to would have been able to say, oh yeah, yes, in those days. In other words, though we may be unclear, those purposes serving in the text is not because the people he's writing to wouldn't have said, now you know goodness well, ain't no Quirinius. You know, goodness well, ain't no Caesar Augustus. Do no see. He would have verified it. This is the Lord of history. And what he wants you to know is that when man was making moves, God was making moves. A man named Caesar Augustus who had the power to just declare that something would affect everybody because he was the the monarch over the Roman Empire. He could tell you that you need to go back to your place of ancestry. You need to go and you need to register. And it happened. So a man, a man of God and a woman, a woman of God, Mary and Joseph, who had in their belly, again, this God who had became man, had to do what this man said. There was the word of man. There was the will of man. But Luke wants you to know that in those days, this is actually upon the word and the will of God. Like Nebuchadnezzar, the Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar He had decrees, and guess what? God used his decrees in the life of his people. A man by the name of Cyrus is called God's Messiah, though he was a pagan king of Persia. And yet God wants you to know that the the word of the the, the many Messiah is under the supervising will of the true Messiah. There's what God is up to, and there's what... Man is up to. There's the will of man and there's the will of God. In those days, a decree went out. So Joseph and Mary followed suit. (laughs) But what we know is that this census, which was probably for taxation, because if they were to give you a census for military, Jews were exempt from that under Roman rule. So this is probably for taxation. But whereas Caesar was thinking about his prophets, (laughs) God was thinking about his prophecy. 300 years after David, 700 years before Jesus, God promised that a ruler would come from a small place called Bethlehem on the map right now. There's some people who say I'm from Atlanta because they know if they tell you where they're from, you won't know where it is. So they say Atlanta. I'm from Philly. You say where? And then they'll tell you a place that you don't know. You say, but we just say Philly. That's how it is. Bethlehem would have been, you know, Bethlehem, a little old little town of Bethlehem, little Bethlehem. God says one day a ruler is going to come from Bethlehem. And guess what? It's about to happen right now because the Lord of history is not only a God of promise, but he's a God of providence. Providence is where God flexes his muscle and he uses it to make sure that he never lies and he always keeps a promise. Here's the application for you. Your life is impacted by people, but not determined by people. 
Man seems to be in charge, but God's will will keep them in check. Yes, your boss has power, but God has all power. The doctor does have capacity, but God has omnipotent capacity. The president, Republican or Democrat can affect policy, but they can't overrule the potentate of paradise, as the old preacher used to say. Parents should be able to tell you something and you do it. But God is over your parents. There's a recession. God says the recession can't do anything about my decrees. All I'm here to tell you is that the Lord of history at a place and a point in history decided to flex so that he would keep his promise and bring about his ruler in the town of Bethlehem. The God of promise, the God of providence. Verse there, and she's probably called betrothed because the Bible tells us that even though he took her as his wife, they did not, again, consummate it intimately, physically, until after Jesus was born. So he's, she's described as his betrothed. So Joseph and Mary go back to Bethlehem, and verse 6 says, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Oh, it just so happened that while you're there fulfilling the decree, you happen to give birth. Right. Because God had made sure that his promise would be fulfilled. The affairs of men are under the sovereign control of God. This is the Lord of history. Now, the Lord of history decides that he would enter history. Verse seven. And then she gave birth. I don't know if you know this or not, but here's a secret. When you give birth, what's in you comes out of you. <laughs> and when it comes out of you, <laughs> it is now experiencing a world that's quite different than the world that it came from. Well, the Lord of history enters history. More specifically, what was in the womb now enters into the world. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. From heaven into history, from the womb into the world, from being just God to now being God in the flesh. This is what we call the glory of the $5,000 word incarnation. No, you're not a Christian if you don't believe this right here. You're not a Christian if you sidestep the glory of the incarnation, which means the enfleshment of God. And here what we see is a paradox. A paradox is a seeming contradiction. The paradox. It says here that her firstborn came into the world, but the Bible calls him the firstborn of all creation. How is it that the firstborn of all creation here in this moment is now a firstborn of a little virgin girl? It's a paradox. This is a paradox. The one who made the earth and forms the limbs is placed in swaddling cloth. You know what swaddling cloth is? It's cloth that they use to kind of make the baby in such a way that the limbs, according to their medical knowledge, the limbs would remain and grow uh, in right fashion. How was the one who made your arms and made your legs the one who was found in cloth that was made to make sure that arms and legs don't get deformed? It's a paradox. 
She's laid in a he's laid in a manger. You know what a manger is, right? A manger is a feeding trough. It's a wooden feeding trough that animals used to eat out of. The Bible says that when Jesus grows up, he's going to tell people, "I'm the bread of life. <laughs> eat my flesh, <laughs> drink my blood." They caught me. The animals wanted to eat me. <laughs> no, will you? That's a joke. And it says the reason why he's in a trough is because there was no room in the end. It's a paradox. We're supposed to think the one who the psalmist says, where can I go from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to the shield, you're here. Basically, you can't be contained. And yet here he is now in a place where the end can't contain him as though it were. Their end was not like Motel 6 or Holiday Inn. Their end was probably a large facility with some sort of platform for animals, maybe even a separate compartment for the animals. But there's a whole, just think about like a, if you go to a shelter and there's a whole bunch of people in a shelter. In other words, you're not just in your private room getting room service. You're in a place where there's a whole bunch of beds and little spots for your little thing. And then what, imagine if you come in, it's at capacity. And so now when Jesus comes, what we see is that he's placed where, the, can you just at least clear it, clean it out and let's put him here. When my son Jeremiah, who's again, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, now, when he was born one day, we needed a place for him to stay and there was no place for us to stay in our room. And so we put him in a drawer because we wanted to keep him contained and we put him in a little drawer. The one who is now 6'4", now, used to fit in a drawer. Again, it is a paradox, right? <laughs> the one who, again, is bursts out the heavens is inside of a trough. An animal's trough. In other words, this glory is found in the most inglorious of places. It's a paradox. This is why we say this paradox, the theologians say is a paradox of condescension, that God who is most high would stoop most low. That the God who is all powerful would make himself weak and vulnerable. That the God who knows all would have to learn Hebrew. The glorious incarnation is a paradox. Hebrews 2 tells us he had to be made like us in order for him to redeem us and become somebody who could relate to us. Hebrews 2:17 had to be made like his brothers in every respect so he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Hebrews 4:15 We do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. The Lord Jesus says, if I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth, I may only be able to relate to people who are born in well-off circumstances. So I was born with a wooden spoon in my mouth or no spoon at all. <laughs> says I was born. If I was born and they just immediately gave me the VIP booth, then I'd be able to relate to you who are always in VIP. But I now I want to relate to the people who have no place to lay their head. <laughs> This is why Jesus embraced this humility. Don't we need people who, who know how to embrace humility for the sake of others? Don't we need people who are empathetic with others? Some people who know what it's like to look for a job but can't find it. Some people who know what it's like to be faithful in a relationship and it not work out. Some people who know what it's like to get an unfavorable report from the doctor. 
Some people who know what it's like to not be born with the right ideal home life. Some people who know what it's like to have parents that are good. Some people who like who know what it's like to have parents that are not so good. We need people who are empathetic. <laughs> Leaders who know what it's like to live in the ghetto. Leaders who know what it's like to have a little something something and everybody want to get a little something something because they always are around people who have a little something something. So they kind of are always asking for a little something something. We need to know both extremes. You need to know it all. The Lord of history entered history. And in doing so, it was a paradox of humility. This Lord of history entered history. Why? For the purpose of altering history. Look at verse 8 to 12. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you the gospel, the gospel that will produce great joy. Good news of great joy. He alters history. If you were going to be born. You will want the who's who there. He first appears to the who's you. Shepherds were the despised class. Shepherds were the outsiders. Shepherds were viewed as untrustworthy. They could not be your, uh, they couldn't verify. They couldn't stand in court for you. Shepherds were the people that were viewed as unholy because, again, the way they worked, again, they were suspect. And yet this is the place where the angel of the Lord goes and says, I want to tell you that who's who's been born. The who of who's who has been born, even though I know you're not the who's who of society. Matthew tells us that Jesus was recognized by lofty ones called wise men from the east. Luke wants to let you know, but he was also revealed to low ones, shepherds in the field. You see our God who's high and low, who's wide and far away in his holiness, yet draws near in this incarnation. We're talking about God, the God, this God, no other God. We're going to see that when we get to his Christ. He says here in that region, there were shepherds keeping watch. They weren't looking for God like the Magi who are like, yo, we saw it. We, you know, we kind of got this astrology thing going and we heard that there's a ruler we're supposed to seek out. That's one thing. This is not that. This is somebody just at work. Some of them, I hate this or I like this. Whichever one the shepherds were doing that night, they were out handling their biz, scrambling like Randall with his. For those of you who know that. And then... God appears. You know what this tells you? He appears to bring good news. You know what? You don't find the gospel. The gospel finds you. God, religion says, get to God. The gospel says God came to you. Let's go. Culture teaches heaven is for good people. The gospel shows us that good news comes to bad people. The gospel comes Fear not. The reason why they got to say fear not is because if you see them, you realize there's something to fear. 
Angelic visitations are not like us where we see an angel and the angel looks all cute or the angel looks all like, yo, what up? Right. Angels, every time in the Bible, some they have to say, fear not. I know this is wild. Fear not. I know I look kind of, you know, fear not. It says, fear not. Why should you fear not? Because I got gospel and not judgment. Listen, when Samuel went to anoint David. They said, oh, you here to like, what you here to do? Because I'm nervous. He says, don't be nervous. I'm coming to anoint a king. Because the same one could be coming to exact judgment. If Jesus were to come, you would think he's coming to handle business. Remember when he was on earth and the demoniacs saw him and said, we know who you are. Have you come to deal with us before the time? So it's always good news when you encounter God and God says, you don't have to fear, even though there would be something to fear. Because in his holiness, it's dreadful. In his holiness, it should make you. It's like when someone turns the light on and you know you're not right. Turn the light on. Fear not is what he says to you today. Fear not. I'm bringing you good news that brings joy. Everybody has a problem. Some people have social problems. Some people have financial problems. Some people have health problems. Some people have mental problems. We all have various problems. Not everybody has everybody's problem. But here's one problem we all have so that there's one solution we can all enjoy so that we all can collectively express that joy together. This is why you can come to church regardless of where you're from, regardless of where you are on the map financially, regardless of where you are in terms of your out, your, your, what's, what you're going through, because the, Jesus is the rallying point who brings joy. There's joy in Jesus, and that's what he says here. Now you say, what's the joy? Again, it's the gospel. What's the gospel? He says it right here. Unto you, verse 11, is born this day in the city of David. Jerusalem is often called the city of David in the Bible. But here, Bethlehem, which is David's birthplace, is also called the city of David. Just in case you meet somebody who doesn't like that. Unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the gospel. That God decided for sinners to send a Savior his cho of his choice, Christ, that's what cho Christ means, chosen one, who is the Lord, Adonai, which replaced the name Yahweh because they believe Yahweh was too, too pure to say. In other words, Yahweh took on flesh at God's own choosing and rescued us. Fear not. I got good news that unto you, again, he, he say, because God's out here saving people. Oh, you want this too? Let me make some calls and see if I can extend it to you. No. He goes to the lowest, to the despised, to the least liked, the least likely, the least in the lowly. And he says, unto you, people like you. What do you mean people like you? People who people have counted out. People who know that their sins disqualify them. People who are on the, born on the wrong side of the tracks. To you, God has given a savior of his choosing, Christ. 
He's actually God in the flesh, the Lord, the Savior. Praise God that Jesus grew up and taught like nobody could teach, but we needed a Savior. Praise God, Jesus would heal physically, but we needed a touch spiritually. We needed a Savior. Praise God that he grew up. Praise God that Jesus grew up with wise sayings and he had pithy little sayings, but we needed a Savior. Praise God, we needed a rescuer. So God looks at this baby and he says, call him Jesus. You know why? Well, I was thinking something a little, with a little more pizzazz. Joshua, that's a, that's a name in Hebrew that's so, re- everybody got the name. Again, Joshua. It's, like, it's not like Kobe. You're like, wait, Kobe Bryant or Kobe Stakes? There's only a couple options if you say Kobe. But it, you say, you know, Bob. Which Bob? Bob the Builder? <laughs> Bob Marley? Which Bob we talking about? (laughs) He says, call him Jesus. Why? Because he saves. Yahweh saves. That's what it means. The Savior is. Now, people want a Savior. If you could get people to buy into Jesus as Savior, the question is, would you also want him as Lord? There's There's a dude that's on the gram. He's killing it, right? There's a dude that's on the ground. You've probably seen him, the dude with the funny, like, yellow glasses. They all square. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, him, because he keeps popping up because he's viral. But he's always got great insights. And so he just lists all of these bad things. He says, if you believe that Jesus loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life, mm-hmm, and he does. If you believe that Jesus, and he tells all these good things. He says, now, if you accept that news, <laughs> I got some bad news, too. <laughs> and you got to accept this bad news. The bad news is you don't deserve him. The bad news is that he died because he killed sinners. And, like, he just goes on to the bad news. This is what the Bible says. If you want Jesus to save you, you also got to accept the Jesus who rules you. Because Jesus is Lord. <laughs> He doesn't come to just rescue and say, but where are you going now, right? Jesus saves you so that he can get back in the driver's seat of your life. Unto you was born one who saves, who is the Lord. And there's only one option. You say, well, no, no, I got somebody else. Thanks. Nope, he's Christ. Christ means anointed, chosen one. God's select one. Now, let me just tell you, the Caesar Augustus who is on the throne right now, who is sovereign, he was called the 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 Prince of Peace, because he introduced something called the Pax Romana. Pax Romana means the peace of Rome. It means Rome was off the chain till Augustus started putting the smack down on the empire so that people were like, we better stop tripping because Augustus ain't playing. And he created an environment of peace. So much so when he extended the empire, they called him the savior of the world because Rome at that time basically had domination over the whole world. So he was viewed as the savior of the world. So isn't it ironic that God says, nah, not Caesar, I got a king. (laughs) He's the Lord and he's my chosen. Well... Acts chapter 2 is going to go on to say, let Israel know God has made Jesus Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you're crucified, the Lord of history, entered history to alter history. Now, here's the conclusion. Let this change your story. Let this change your story. 
Bethlehem was crowded that night. So how am I going to know which of these options are the only option? Verse 12, this will be the sign for you shepherds. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So we heard that he was placed in a manger in swaddling cloths. And then we heard that the shepherds were told. And that's how when you go to the shelter and you see so much fam, so many families and babies and mothers and fathers and luggage and animals with no room for the one who came in and had to be put in a trough. Just look at the one who's in a waddling, swaddling cloth in the trough. That's how you'll know. That's the sign that you're looking at my chosen, my King of kings and Lord of lords. There was no room in the inn. So when they went, they didn't see majesty. They saw humility. When they went, they didn't see Jesus in his exaltation, but in that paradox of condescension we talked about. They didn't find him among the angels where Jesus normally resided. Holy, 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 Isaiah 6. They found him among the animals where they used to feed They didn't find Jesus in riches. They found him cloaked in rags. Second Corinthians chapter eight would say it this way. You know him. You know the grace of God. He was rich. Yet for your sake, he became poor so that through his poverty, you could become rich. The good news is that God decided to become poor so that you and I could become rich. It's been noted and I'm closing. And this is for real. If y'all know me, my I'm closing is usually not closing, but this time it's really closing. Praise God. Someone has noted he was bound by the cloth at birth. He would be bound at his death on the cross. Someone said that he was laid in a wooden feeding trough at his birth. He would be laid on a wooden cross beam at his death. There was no room for him in the end at his birth. There's often no room for him in our hearts, even though he went on to lay his life down. There was birth. At his birth, there was good news. A savior's born. And at his death, there's good news that the savior who was born is also the savior who died. In other words, let this change your story. The Lord of history entered history to alter history. Let it change your story. If he is a savior, you need rescuing. Have you been rescued by the only option available? If he is a king, that means you need to submit to him. Have you submitted to Jesus or do you like him as a figure from history? And if you are saved by the king, do you recognize him as the only one of his kind? Exalt him, worship him, preach him, tell others about him, draw people to him. He is Christ, the Lord, God's chosen. If he was in the feeding trough, he says, eat my flesh, which means be consumed with me. If Jesus is truly that gift that was given, you must receive him. Humble yourself, recognize your need, and let's come and let's magnify him. Verse 13 and 14 concludes like this. Suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is 
Please, in other words, we could have this crescendo as we leave. We could have the crescendo. Let's just say glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. Charles Wesley would write this. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark blueprint. Herald, sing glory to this newborn king. Let's pray. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.